When I was 15 years old, I had an incredible encounter with Jesus at a youth conference that forever altered the course of my life. It's one of those moments that we all dream of, those mountaintop encounters, if you like, to use some classic Christian jargon for you. And before this moment, I'd never taken seriously the idea of a relationship with Jesus. For me, Christianity was a religion that probably made more sense than so many other ones, but it wasn't all there was cracks out to be in the world because you know what? There were some pretty girls at the youth camp, but they were sometimes more interested in the words that a preacher might have been preaching at me. And I remember being prayed for at this conference one evening and becoming so aware of the love that Jesus had for me, of the destiny and purpose that was spoken over my life in that moment. And the morning after this powerful experience, uh, we were told at this camp of the importance of always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us uh, of the reasons for the hope that we had in Christ Jesus. A classic Bible verse from 1 Peter. And we were challenged in this session to tell others not at this conference about what happened to us that week to share our experiences of faith with others. So 15-year-old me, with my curly mop of hair, my pale blue Fen Church tea, my love for weird phone filters, whipped out my Samsung Monte slider phone, and I pinged a text to every single person in my contact book. And I've not got a record of that exact text, I'm afraid, but knowing how I spoke back then and seeing some posts here and there, probably went a little bit like this. Sup, just had a great time at Christian Conf. Oh yeah. Jesus is the best, and I should have said this before. Ruffle, TTYL. And that was the start of my big mission to convert the whole teenage population of the town of Reading. Fast forward four weeks. The summer holidays were nearly over. I was back at football training for pre-season. And within five minutes, one of my teammates came up to me and asked me about some weird text that I'd sent him earlier that summer. Oh yeah, I reply. Um, uh, um, Oh yeah, um, I think someone stole my phone, <laughs> lol. Um, yeah, classic, right? <laughs> and he said, oh yeah, cool, sure. And we just laughed and we ran off to kick a ball about. And the exact same thing happened about two weeks later on the very first day back at school in September. A classmate turned to me and said, I got this weird text from you a few weeks ago and are you now one of those like weird, crazy Christian type guys? And I was like, oh no, um... Uh, um, someone uh, stole my phone <laughs> and we laughed it off and ran off and did what we do at school and I'd like to say this only happened to me when I was an awkward 15 year old boy but the sad reality is the same thing happened to me when I started at uni a very similar thing I arrived first term at uni I'd done a gap year I was ready to be an evangelist in my time at university particularly I was passionately fired up about witnessing to the rugby team about challenging the patriarchal culture and the masculinity, toxic masculinity that I found there, showing my better way to live with Jesus, with hope, with security, with confidence. I had images of Christian, of, 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 of rugby players falling to their knees in the middle of the pitch, turning to Jesus in their tents, uh, around the scrums, around the nightclubs that we did our socials in. But after a few weeks of socials and Sunday morning training sessions, I realised that my sheer passion and vibes was never enough. The conversation never turned to Jesus in the middle of the ruck, or around the Poston Gate bar with the Jaeger bombs lined up in front of me. It's hard to live for something that doesn't quite fit the expectation of the world around us, isn't it? In today's world of increased connectivity and pace, of contention and wokeness, of progression, diversity and complexity, conversations around faith can feel really daunting, can't they? And that's before we even start to think about the damage that's been caused by well-meaning Christians uh, in, the, in the name of Jesus, whether that's through wildly misconstrued tweets, uh, support for controversial political figures, or even proposing horrific 
ideas upon people, such as conversion therapy being thrust upon bewildered teenage children. And in today's world, to live against the grain, to stand up for your beliefs and to remain faithful and true to your convictions in following Jesus can feel so daunting. Living with purpose and meaning can feel like a pipe dream, a status that's only ever achieved by the super holy and super intentional, whoever they are anyway. And this is what we're turning our attention to today, how we can live with purpose on a countercultural mission in our beautiful and messy world. So before we do any further, Let's pray, shall we? Let's centre ourselves on the presence of Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are here with us today, wherever we are, whenever we're watching, whoever we're with. I pray, Jesus, that you would reveal more of yourself to us now, more of your love for us, more of your plans for our life. Speak to us through your word, speak to us through your spirit now, I pray. Amen. And this practice we're looking at today is the final in our Resilient Disciples series, as we heard from Dan and Susie earlier. And I would argue that it's the one that kind of underpins and actions the previous four. In the first week, we looked at intimacy with Jesus, the importance of, uh, of, of a relationship with Jesus being the kind of the cornerstone of the identity that we have as Christians, uh, both now and for eternity. We then looked at cultural discernment, the importance of uh, having kind of robust and well-reasoned perspectives to help us engage with the culture around us, discerning what's right and what's true. We then looked at the importance of building meaningful relationships across the generations to help shape us become more like Jesus as we walk this journey out with others. And then last week, we heard from Christian about calling in the context of our work and our vocations, about what God is calling us to do, who he is calling us to be um, in our lives. And then today, we turn to this idea of counter-cultural mission, which I think is the outward-facing expression of those four practices that I mentioned there. And we do these together for the sake of the world around us. It's all about us being, as G2, being the people of God, united in adoration and fascination for a good God, pointing to his plans and his purposes for our world, um, telling the world about who he is and what he's done for them. And let's understand what we mean by counterculture here. So we can understand from dictionary definitions that a counterculture is a culture whose values and norms of behaviour differ substantially from that of mainstream society. A countercultural movement expresses the ethos and aspirations, the ideals of a specific population during a well-defined era. And they often have a culture and lifestyle uh, that rejects or opposes the dominant values and behaviours of society and points to a different way to live. So a good example of this would be the 1960s US civil rights movement uh, opposing uh, racism and segregation laws and pointing to a better world that they believed in. Or perhaps hippies opposing nuclear, uh, nuclear arms race in the 60s and 70s, speaking about peace and love for all. More recently, I think of ISIS trying to set up a caliphate, an Islamic state in the Middle East, um, opposing the mainstream cultural views and standing for a different way to live. And the key thing to note of all these movements, and there are many more that I've not listed there, is that yes, they're all opposed to something, they're all against something, but crucially they have a vision for something. They have a vision for what they believe to be a better way to live, a different way to live. And it's so easy in our world today, isn't it, to kind of oppose someone or something if we disagree with them or dislike them. And there's nothing wrong with having a different opinion to someone, of course not. But I think for us, as we think about sustaining a movement and living with purpose, it's more important that we believe in something and have a vision for life that is better than what it currently is. So followers of Jesus, that means living for the kingdom of God and not being against the world, which is so easy a position to slip into, isn't it? Just opposing things, being against things, being known for being different because we are disagreeing with something. 
So we're countercultural, yes, but we are doing it with a purpose and for a mission. We want to partner with Jesus in his mission to seek and save the lost and hurting, to make disciples of all nations, instructing them to obey the teachings of Jesus. And that passage that we heard read out before, uh, Jeremiah 29, a letter written by the prophet Jeremiah based on some words that God had spoken to him to directly address the people of Israel in exile in Babylon. And we've talked in this series a lot, hopefully you've heard about digital Babylon, about the world that we're living in today, what it looks like, how it mirrors that kind of ancient Babylon city. And this Babylon here that the people of God were based in uh, is OG Babylon, it's analogue Babylon, dial-up Babylon, Babylon before they had Freeview come installed in their TVs. And there's a lot we can learn from this passage about how to navigate today's modern world, about how we can live with a sense of purpose as a missional presence today. So let's crack open our Bibles and let's flick through a bit of Jeremiah 29, shall we? And we start in verses four to six. We see this instruction to build houses, to settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. The people of God are called to be faithful and fruitful in more ways than one. They're called to start businesses, build homes, join in with what's happening there. Remain faithful, remain the people of God. Don't shy away from who they are. Continue to to build lives, continue to build families. And I was thinking about uh, the brilliant words that we heard from Katie in her call to worship earlier uh, from 1 Peter about being a holy people, being a royal priesthood, the chosen people of God. And that's a call that God has given to the people of Israel here, isn't it? They're called to still be his people, still be known for following him, still being a part of what's going on around them, still being faithful, setting up, doing life as normal, joining in with what's happening, not necessarily opposing everything, but still marrying, still continuing on with life, still building families. Let's move on. Verse seven. This is probably my favourite verse. It's a fascinating verse, this. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord to it for, uh, for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The people of God were called to bless the city, to love the city, pray for the city therein, to bless the people, love the people, pray for the people. And that doesn't necessarily mean if you're doing those things that you're agreeing with everything that people are saying or doing. So bless the city, love the city. Pray for the city. Bless the people are there. Love the people there. Pray for the people there. It's not about opposing uh, everyone. It's not about just agreeing with every single thing that they do. But it is about showing the love of God to the people in that city they're in. Seeking their prosperity, their city, caring about their city, caring about the causes um, that is close to God, caring about justice, caring about the communities they're in. Moving on, verses 8 to 9. Jeremiah warns the people, do not let the prophets and diviners amongst you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they encourage you to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. And that referred to a bunch of false prophets that were giving uh, contradictory messages to the one of Jeremiah, uh, pretending to be from God in this time uh, for the exiles in Babylon. And I think that's an important warning that we also can take today when it comes to living counterculturally, living with purpose. We need to hold on to truth. I've been reading the book A Deeply Formed Life by Rich uh, Velodis, a pastor in New York recently. And he talks about us as Christians being like icebergs, where the world sees a top 10%, but icebergs, obviously 90% of it is beneath the surface. And he's saying, what is the 90% of our lives? What is that formed in? What makes us, makes us, makes up us in that 90%? So that the bit of the world sees isn't just shallow, but is deep, is deeply rooted in Jesus, knows what's truth, understands how to discern the world around us. 
Think about what we heard from Ruth Perrin a few weeks ago in the live stream in the living room about knowing the culture, knowing what is true, being unafraid to speak truth, being unafraid to share that with others and answer big, wrestle, wrestle through big questions together. So be faithful, be fruitful, bless the city you're in, hold on to truth. Verse 10, I think, is a call to be resilient. Verse 10 says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 70 years in exile, 70 years in a place where you don't feel at home. That's mad. None of us can imagine that. There's nothing like what we're experiencing today in terms of, you know, the freedom that we have. We might have left the Schengen zone, but we can still move around the world, can't we? But there's an, there's an invitation for us here to think about what it means to strap in for the long haul. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But how can we stay resilient? as a people of God together? How can we put into practice these four practices we heard in the last few weeks to stay the course for Jesus? Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's just there for a good phone background, isn't it? Um, no, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, honestly, though, it's, it's good to know that there is still hope to the people of Israel are in exile here. They've just been been told they're going to be there for 70 more years. And then God's like, be hopeful though, cheers. But this is important to hold on to, isn't it? For us as Christians today, we've got to hold on to hope that we're in this world that doesn't fit what we might want it to feel like. It doesn't look how we might want it to look like. But we can still have hope. We can still know that God has plans. We can still trust in who he is. And then verses 12 to 14. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. And it goes on. It's underpinning these instructions for life in exile, underpinning all of these words that Jeremiah has spoken, centres it on the faithfulness of God, on the promises of God. You live as a faithful and missional presence when you are found in God. You live with purpose when you are formed by him. When Christ in you, the hope of glory is more deeply revealed day by day, moment by moment in the places and spaces you find yourself in. The research from the Faith for Exiles book this series is based on says that 90% of resilient disciples strongly agree with the statement that I want others to see Jesus reflected through my words and actions. That's a great aspiration for us to have, isn't it? 76% of those resilient disciples saw it as their responsibility to tell others about their belief in Jesus. In a world where everything is vying for our attention and trying to form us and influence us, let's be people that push back and stay resilient in the name and presence of Jesus. And this is so important because you know what? Our world is so divided at times, isn't it? There's so much pain in her. I can think about countless examples and stories that I don't need to kind of remind you of from the last few weeks of, 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 of news. Our world so desperate needs the perfect peace and living hope of Jesus. And this is where two really important values come in for me. The first is courage and the second is compassion. So we've heard those instructions from Jeremiah 29. But I think the need for courage and compassion are so important in the world that we live in. A few years back, I was on holiday with some mates um, that I grew up with in the jewel of Lancashire. The Pearl of the Ribble and Wire Estuary, a.k.a. the Vegas of the North, a.k.a. Blackpool. And I've been friends with these guys for about, best part, about 15 years now. We've been through school together, navigated a lot of kind of awkward teenage house parties, holiday together, visited each other at uni, uh, unis across the UK. Uh, we've cried together, laughed together and created mischief together for nearly two decades now. 
I'm the only person in this group that would call themselves a Christian. And at times in my life, that's been an incredible challenge when I've sent texts that I then turn back on a few weeks later. It's been a test of my beliefs, my self-control levels and my commitment to the whole Jesus thing. We've had conversations about faith, the universe and everything many times, probably more often than not in our younger years in a kebab shop in Reading at 4am, fueled by Carlsberg, £1.50 uh, in a local club. And maybe that was the most effective evangelism resource then, but that's by the by. In September 2019, another one of these conversations took place in Blackpool. More specifically, one of the boys decided that a great time for a conversation about faith was strapped in to a rickety seat on the Big One roller coaster. A roller coaster on Blackpool Pleasure Beach that has top speeds of 74 miles per hour, has a drop of 205 feet and a g-force of 3.5. So we're two days deep into this trip at Blackpool, 2pm in the afternoon, squeezed into this cart next to my friend. He turns to me and says, so as a Christian, what do you believe about the whole gay marriage question? Probably not the best time to ask this question, I thought to myself. And I'm sure the answer that I gave next wasn't as full of grace or season of salt as the Apostle Paul would want it to be. I wasn't particularly courageous in that moment. My conversation didn't fully tell this guy, tell my friend about the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. I didn't, I didn't know how to answer that question in that moment. I was more worried about potentially throwing up my chips on this roller coaster than I was about telling him about Jesus. Courage is the ability to control your fear in a dangerous or difficult situation. So yes, that was a difficult situation to me. It also was probably a bit dangerous, to be honest, on a rickety old roller coaster. But I still was able to speak to him. I still was able to hopefully communicate with love and grace to him. We've had conversations since. and I didn't completely put him off or completely offend him in any way. Having courage is an instruction that we're told time and time again to have in the Bible, isn't it? Think about the person of Joshua, who when he's leading the people of Israel in the Old Testament, God says to them, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. I think four times it is in, in the book of Joshua chapter one in his opening kind of instruction to him as leader. When Jesus speaks of his death and departure from earth to his disciples, he says to them, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, have courage. I've overcome the world. We're going to have to take risks, aren't we? We're going to be a countercultural presence. We're going to be a missional people living with purpose. We're going to have to take risks, not just put safety first, but trust that Jesus is with us. We're going to have trouble. We're going to have difficulty. He's promises that. We know it's hard. We know it's hard for the people of Israel living in Babylon uh, way back when to live as a faithful missional presence. It's going to be hard for us today. But we've got to have courage. We've got to keep going, keep having those difficult conversations. And I wonder what courage looks like for you right now. Is it about your personal sexual ethic? Is it your work culture? Is it what truths you believe? Is it how you love others, how you're friends with others? Is it as simple as knocking on your neighbour's door? Is it about forgiving someone? Is it even just getting out of bed in the morning right now? But as a church, let's get ready for some hard conversations. Let's be prepared, even when we're on roller coasters. I'd love to encourage you to practice this. I know it might sound a bit weird, but just think to yourself, even now, uh, what stories of hope could I share with people from my own life? What's my two minute gospel, my two minute testimony of what God's done in my life, of who he is to me, of why I go to church on a Sunday, why I still log into YouTube and Facebook in the online sphere? It's not easy, is it? But let's stay courageous. Let, even when it's difficult, even when it's dangerous, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's keep telling others about him. I love the image of Jesus that we read about in Revelation 5, um, of being the kind of the lamb and the lion. 
Revelation 5, verse 5, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the big roar of that Aslan, uh, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open its scrolls and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, shorn the sheep, that little meek image, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. St. Augustine, the, fa- the famed Christian theologian in the, uh, 375 AD, gave a sermon where he said that the lion stands for Christ resurrected and the lamb for Christ sacrificed. Jesus endured death as a lamb, but he devoured it as a lion. And I don't know about you, but a lion makes me think of courage, makes me think of bravery. And a lamb makes me think of gentleness, of compassion. And compassion is that second value that I spoke of before. Compassion is so important in today's world. I don't need to tell you that, but it is, isn't it? I think about so many of the things that I've heard about and seen in the last few weeks that just could have done with a lot more compassion how we interact with one another. Compassion means to lead with love, means to see everyone as an image bearer of God. For me, I learned this a hard way at uni. Um, I lived with the same people for three years at university. I absolutely love those guys. Um, and I remember a really upsetting conversation that I had, I think in third year, where um, I'd often brought them along to kind of like carol services that the CU did and brought them to a few G2 socials and G2 events here and there. And I remember one Sunday getting some flyers out of my bag to give to them. And they just said, oh, Adam, just don't, just don't even start. Don't tell us about another thing. Don't bring us to another event. Just hang out with us. Just be our friends. And that really hurt me because I was like, I've got this wrong. I've not loved these people first. I've ended up making them a project. I've ended up thinking these guys are going to be in my tally chart of souls and saved in heaven. I didn't treat them as friends. And that's where we've got to start of our mission to the world. We've got to see people, as we heard about in Jeremiah 29, loving our city, seeking their prosperity. So let's not be people that stand outside and point fingers and point out flaws. But let's stand side by side with compassion and conviction, holding firm together to speak truth, love and grace to people. You think about this in the digital space recently. You see all the debate with Meghan and Harry in that interview of Oprah a few weeks ago. I didn't see much compassion in the conversations, whatever people think about that, in social media. Yet the God that we follow, the God that we serve, the God that we saw walk on earth amongst us, Jesus Christ, he was consistently moved with compassion. He felt compassion. He wept when he saw injustice and pain and death and suffering in the world. And psychologists speak of the difference between pity sympathy, empathy and compassion. So pity says, I acknowledge your suffering. Oh no, such a shame that happened to you. And then it moves on. Sympathy says, I do care about your suffering. I am sad and I am sorry that you've experienced that. Empathy says, I feel your suffering. I understand exactly what you're going through. And it's so frustrating, isn't it? And then compassion says, I want to relieve your suffering. Compassion says, I know what that's like. And I want to help you in any way I can. Let's not just show pity to the world around us. Let's not just be sympathetic with the world around us or empathetic with the world around us. Let's be compassionate people who step in, who step up when it needs us. I've been thinking a lot about this, particularly um, as a man in the last few weeks with all the stuff that we've heard about um, male violence against women and the Sarah Everard case. And I don't want to go into detail about this. I don't want to upset people or trigger people. But if I just respond to that situation of pity, with sympathy, with empathy, nothing changes, does it? If I don't challenge um, inappropriate messages in the group chat that I'm in, if I don't challenge the behaviour of my mates on a night out, I have to relieve the suffering of others. I have to step in and do something. And I'm sure just like you, you're wrestling with that in different parts of your life, what it means to be compassionate in action. Being courageous, being compassionate, it leads us to make contributions, doesn't it? I was thinking about uh, Just Love York, a society that's been set up by some of our students, by Esther and Sam, Iola, Imi, 
Rachel, Emily and Becky this past year. A society has been set, set up um, to kind of follow the biblical call to social justice and encourage students uh, into activism and awareness of issues um, in the world around us. I love that. I love that those guys have shown courage in setting that up, compassion in caring about the world around them and then have made a contribution. And for us as followers of Jesus, that's what it's all about, isn't it? We are supporters of the plan of God. We step up, we follow Jesus in his mission. We care about the world around us. We are exiles, but we're called to live in a way that the world doesn't expect of us. To be faithful, holy and fruitful. To be focused on others. To seek the kingdom of God, yes, and to pray for our city, to bless our city, to love our city. We are rooted in the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in him. We're convicted in that truth and we're intentional in believing it. And we stay the course. We don't give up on our friends. We don't give up on our neighbours or our streets or our city. We are bringers of hope and we are centred on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, who does not, will not and has not let us down. Jeremiah 29 is, of course, an incredible passage and it's super helpful. But we know the world is different today. We know that our questions and struggles might not be exactly the same as theirs. But thankfully, it's not on us to figure this out alone, is it? We can't hype ourselves up into changing the world. And we get to live as a missional presence because of what Jesus has done for us. Our exile now may feel more spiritual than it was physical like the Israelites in Babylon. Because our hearts long for our true home in Jesus Christ. But let's take heart from knowing that his presence is still with us today. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God for our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So as we finish up today, as we consider the reality, that the call to be a resilient disciple is the call to put into action all five of these practices. I believe that there are two invitations specifically for us as a church today. The first one of these, as I've been praying, is a call for the people that want to step out, who realise that in this post-pandemic world, um, the kind of Jesus follower the world needs is going to look different, going to have to think different, going to have to speak different. You know, the goalposts have moved. They ain't ever going to go back to where they were before. Are you? Are you going to go back to how it was before? Are you going to live differently? Are you going to live distinctly? Are you going to send that text and not take it back four weeks later? Let's see people that step out. Like Jesus walking on water to meet, uh, sorry, like Peter walking on water to meet Jesus. Jesus' hand is open to you saying, come, trust me, have faith. And the second sense I got was from Revelation 3, 19, 20, where Jesus says, be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. A beautiful invitation that Jesus gives to relationship, to a greater level of intimacy, friendship and trust. And perhaps you've never responded to that invitation before. Or perhaps a chair that Jesus used to sit at has got a bit dusty this past year amidst all the other distractions. Jesus is the one who is moved with compassion. He's faithful and trustworthy. He gives you vision and purpose. He endured death as a lamb and he devoured it as a lion. Perhaps it's time that you invited him in today. So let's respond to this as we wrap up this series and as you think about what it means to live with purpose. Let's invite you to stand up 
where you are. Just make a physical sign. Just shake yourself out of this space. Let's get a bit moving. And there's two responses. And you know what your response you're making in your heart. You're either going to step out of that boat or you're going to open that door to Jesus. Or you might be you might be feeling particularly um, selfish today. You want to choose both, which is absolutely fine. So are we stepping out of that boat or are we opening that door? Let's pray together now. Jesus, I thank you for giving my life purpose. Today, I'll make a decision to respond to the invitation that you are giving me. I centre myself on your faithfulness. I want to be holy and fruitful for the sake of others. I want to live rooted in truth and stay resilient amidst the storms of life. I want to bring a compassionate hope to a hurting world. But Jesus, I know that all of this is only possible for you. And so today, I give myself to you. I trust you as my friend, my hope, my Lord and my saviour. Fill me with your spirit now as I step out into all that you offer. Jesus, lead me on into greater things in the name of your kingdom and for the sake of the world. In your mighty name, I pray. Amen.